Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to The End Out Show. We continue our series on world religions unraveled. Last week, we talked about Mormonism. If you missed it, go back. It was fascinating. Today, we unpack Catholicism. Uh, we also have a fun skit or a music video, whatever it is. It's a surprise after the interview, so make sure you stick around for that. But we hope you enjoy today's show. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the End Out Show. We got a fantastic show today. We continue our series on World Religions Unraveled, and today we're talking about Catholicism. Uh, lots to dive in about that, but before we dive in, just a couple of things we want to let you know about. Number one, we have our match campaign. We still have that going on. It's going to be uh, ending pretty soon, and so we want to let you know about it. So what is it? We have a generous supporter of the ministry who has pledged $5,000 that they'll be matching for what we can raise. And so we're getting supporters, we're getting people like you who are watching to double your gift today. So if you give $5, it turns to 10. If you give 10, it turns to 20. You can give all the way up to 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, whatever you want, and it will be matched. So if we can raise 5,000 as a ministry, it turns into $10,000, which is amazing. Uh, that really helps bless and support our ministry. And so we encourage you to do that in doubt.ca. You can give a one-time gift there. Uh, we would love it. Also want to remind you, November 17 and 18 in Abbotsford, we're going to be at the Union Conference. Uh, we're going to be there. We're going to be there on Saturday. Uh, we're going to be doing the in Doubt show live uh, with a live studio audience uh, for a Q&A. So it's going to be awesome. Register theunionmovement.com. You can register for the conference. It's going to be great. We really look forward to that. That's all i got to say. So now, Chris, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for uh, just uh, waiting for me as I just spew yeah, some of those. That's uh, usually what I do. That's what you just wait. <laughs> um, your sign, Reformation Day. Um, it is. You know, yes. tomorrow is Reformation Day, and some people, you know, celebrate Halloween. Uh, but it, it was Reformation Day. Yeah. You know, tomorrow. So uh, we're going to talk a little about that today because, you know, we're talking about Catholicism. Um, there's a lot of connections yeah. with that, Martin yeah. Luther, all that kind of well. stuff. You know, we were thinking, oh, it'd be really fun for this year. We could like all dress up as like yeah, characters. Know, right? You know, me and Chris were trying to wonder who's going to be Martin Luther. And then we said, you know what? Maybe next year. Yeah. We kind of yeah. ran out of time. So, uh, and also we have a fantastic guest joining us in third chair. You know him, you love him, the man it's with 200 voices. Genius. So, when you hear this music. Wait. Where? Where's Marcus? I don't know. Well, Marcus Miller is supposed to be joining us. Oh, what in what is? Oh, going through. Hey, hey, buddy. Hey, what are you doing? Reformation Day. I'm, 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 I'm the door. With the ninety-five thesis on. Okay, but but what? We decided not to dress up anymore. Serious. Yeah, we said we'll do yeah. it. we'll do it next year. I thought you texted him. I oh, oh shoot. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm here. Make yourself to yeah. home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm on in. Have a seat if you can. Do, do you mind? Uh, His thesis is in the, the way. A the, bit. the thesis is a little bit. Is that the actual German one? Thank you. That's that's, oh, that's the legit German one. Okay, so we got Marcus Miller slash the door in the house. Oh, and Skylar just ran by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is off to a great start. Hey, no, this is this is fantastic. This is fantastic. Oh. Give me a second. Okay, I I this feel is... bad. I mean, I I if I'm looking here, the right. texts. I think. Yeah, you know what? I just texted you. I didn't do the group chat. No. So he didn't know. Yeah, I just have a bunch of cat gifts from you. Yeah, I just I love cats. <laughs> oh, oh, are you are you okay there, Marcus? Yeah. This this is a. There you go. Okay. You, you good there? Okay, so Marcus, how you doing, man? My nose is a little itchy. Well, you can uh, can you scratch it? We there can, we go. That's we can just get a little it, bit yeah. to the left. Other left. 
Okay. Thanks. There we go. Okay. So we got a great show for us today. I promise, guys. Just hang in there. We're going to get to the interview as fast as we can. But uh, apparently Marcus is uh, the door that uh, Martin Luther nailed his... Is that what you, you want to explain? I, I thought it was a great idea at the time. <laughs> um, I mean... Well, tomorrow's Reformation Day and, and Halloween. And, you know, Reformation Day with Martin Luther, it was... It was pretty intentional that he would do this on October 31st, uh, the thesis Mm. and, you know, this big, you know, religious upheaval um, that took place. And so, you know, we're talking today about Catholicism. We're talking about, you know, but something that's really interesting, and I know Marcus would appreciate this since uh, if we drag this out a little bit longer so that he gets (sighs) really uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm sure he would love that. Um, But uh, Martin Luther is known to say a lot of pretty wild things oh yeah there are many websites that you can go to you know stuff that martin luther says um i just got my favorite one if you don't mind i'd like to share it um so this is called stuff martin says okay uh i'm of a different mind 10 times in the course of a day but i resist the devil and oftentimes it is with a fart that i chase him away finally we get to use that soundbite we do we yeah. had it stored up for for uh, months folks when he tempts me with silly sins, I say, devil, yesterday I broke wind too. Have you written it down on your list? Hallelujah. Okay, so <laughs> that's pretty... He, he does talk about farts quite often, I think. There's another fart one. Is it him Is that really? talks about like the Satan came in my room and I broke wind in his direction? Like he wasn't scared? Anyways, I wonder if he was like lactose intolerant. Maybe there was some things mm. that he was struggling with he just since he kept breaking wind at liked Satan. liked his fart jokes, I guess. I guess see? They're not that bad, even Martin Luther. Anyways, um, I think we should cut to the interview. Maybe let the record show, for all those who are watching, next year. Yeah. If we all don't get fired from this, (laughs) uh, we will all dress up for Reformation Day. I I was just trying to go all out, guys. I I, I I appreciate the effort. It's pretty... That's the best door, cardboard door I've ever seen. Absolutely. Um, Anyways, um, let's get to the interview. We have Greg Allison all the way in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's going to talk us through Catholicism, a little bit of Reformation as well. It's all connected. So let's uh, let's dive in and let's. You, Dora, you want to say let's cut to the interview? Can you physically do that? Let's cut to the interview. All right. Well, we have Greg Allison with us all the way in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you're wearing your white shirt. You just came back from the Derby. <laughs> That's the uh, first weekend in May. It's not oh, quite that. Yeah. <laughs> nope. And not the attire, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> oh, no. You get super dressed up for, Do for you the actually? Derby. I would have, oh, I would have a tie, sport coat, hat, the whole works. Oh, really? Oh, it's an event. Okay. Unprecedented. Okay. I, yeah. I got to come. I'm gonna, if I ever come out there, I'm going to make sure to come out in May. Fantastic. Yeah. Come out for Thurby, which is the Thursday before the Derby, and we'll spend a lot less money. Okay. Thurby. <laughs> That's Thurby. amazing. <laughs> We're learning stuff all the time. Okay. This is awesome. All the time. Hey, I'm so <laughs> grateful for your time. Thank you for making time for us today. As we continue the series of World Religions Unraveled, we're talking today about Catholicism. And um, you've written a lot about this and have spoken a lot about this um, with TGC and different places at conferences. And so, uh, we wanted to walk through, and I know you mentioned before that Protestants and Catholics use the same terms, but very different uh, dictionaries. And so I thought that was an interesting thought, and I wanted to just walk through uh, some of the things with you and kind of just compare and contrast and see the similarities and the differences. But um, first, before we dive in, what are some of the fundamental theological differences that you would say between Catholicism and Protestantism? One crucial area, of course, is how are we rightly related to God? Mm -hmm. or How are we rescued from sin Mm -hmm. and saved through Jesus Christ? That's a major point of difference. We Protestants believe that God declares us not guilty, Mm -hmm. but righteous instead, not on the basis of our righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus that's credited to our account. That's called justification. Mm The Roman Catholic view of salvation or justification is it's not just the forgiveness of sins, but it's being born again. It's progressing in maturity and sanctification in Jesus. It's a lifelong process. And at the end of one's life, you not you can't really be sure if you're genuinely saved or not. So that's a fundamental difference is the whole idea of how do we become rightly related to God. 
Wow. And, and would you say that was um, a fundamental difference? I mean, obviously, we're right before Halloween, which is, you know, Reformation, and it's not just about, you know, uh, treats, trick-or-treats, uh, but there's something different that happened throughout history. But would you say that was the main fundamental theological difference that uh, led to the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century? It absolutely is. Yeah. In fact, Protestants call that point of difference the material principle of Protestantism. That is, if you had to boil down all the differences between Roman Catholics and Protestants, it would boil down to this idea of what is justification? How are we rightly related to God? There would be a second major principle also that was at the heart of the Reformation. That's called the formal principle of Protestantism. That is, what's our ultimate authority uh, in terms of understanding who God is and his ways in this world, Protestants championed sola scriptura, it's scripture, which is our highest, our ultimate authority, whereas the Roman Catholic Church holds to scripture, its own tradition, and then the magisterium or the teaching office of the church through the Pope. So that would be the second major difference, justification mm -hmm. and scriptural authority. And can you walk through maybe some of the tradition or the other aspects that are in that category? So scripture for Roman Catholics is very similar to the Protestant Bible. Roman Catholics have seven different or additional books in their Old Testament. Hmm. And a number of those books really emphasize merit theology, how our good works done in love can merit God's grace and ultimately eternal life. So there's some difference in terms of what scripture is for the different groups. Uh, hmm. Secondly, tradition, according to the Roman Catholic Church, is the oral teaching that Jesus communicated, not by writing, but orally to the apostles, hmm. who never wrote that material down, but also communicated those truths uh, from Jesus orally to their successors, the bishops in the Catholic Church, and for 2,000 years, that oral te te teaching has been uh, shared, has been communicated from Jesus to the apostles to the bishops today, so that Pope Francis, the Bishop of Rome today, is the one who cherishes and nurtures and would define Roman Catholic tradition. So these would be teachings that are not in the Protestant Bible, but are orally transmitted through the church. For an example, would be the Immaculate Conception of Mary and the Bodily Assumption of Mary. We'll get into those details later. Yeah. So you've got scripture, you've got tradition, and you've got the magisterium. So who has the authority and the duty to both define what scripture is and what tradition is, and to interpret both the Bible and tradition? The answer to that question is the teaching office of the church. That would be the Pope and the bishops in the Catholic Church. Fascinating. And, and so how many bishops are there? We know there's obviously one pope. Right now, there's close to 200 okay. uh, cardinals. There, there are bishops who, because of their elevated status and responsibilities, are called cardinals. Mm -hmm. So let's just focus on them. These are the 200 or so uh, bishops who will ultimately elect the next pope when Pope Francis dies. Oh, wow. Okay. Fascinating. So so there's obviously some pretty major differences. So you said there's seven additional books in the Old Testament that are written. Is there any additional books in the New Testament or just those seven in the Old Testament that were? Just the seven in the Old Testament. Okay. So that's the only difference. The Catholic New Testament and the Protestant New Testament, exactly the same. Okay. And then most of the Old Testament is the same, but the Catholics have additional books like Tobit and uh, Judith and uh, first and second Maccabees. And they also have a few extra chapters in their version of Esther and a few extra chapters in their version of Daniel. Oh, interesting. So the only differences are in the Old Testament. Okay, interesting. That's so fascinating. So there's obviously contrasting views of sal. Is there contrasting views of salvation? Like I know um, there's obviously works and other things connected with Roman Catholics, but Protestants are just saved by grace. So what are there more differences with salvation, or is that kind of the main thing? Uh, I think a key difference is we Protestants believe that God saves us by his grace, mm -hmm. which is proclaimed through the gospel message, through scripture. 
Roman Catholics believe that grace is actually infused into them as they participate in the Roman Catholic sacraments, like baptism hmm. and the Eucharist and penance. So it, the, the, the sacraments of the Catholic Church are at the very core of how Roman Catholics can be saved. You can't have the grace of God apart from baptism, the Eucharist, penance, and the other sacraments. And we Protestants, while we should not minimize our sacraments or ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, we don't believe they function in the same way the Catholics believe their sacraments function. Fascinating. So they would believe that, so if someone is a Roman Catholic, but they haven't been baptized. Can't be saved. Really? Yep. Baptism is the first sacrament. And when a quantity of water is poured over the head of, let's say, a 30-day-old baby girl, because that water has been consecrated in the Catholic Church, and then baptism is performed in the name of the triune God, that water is able to transmit the grace of God mm. to that little 30-day-old baby girl. So her original sin is removed. She's no longer guilty before God, is no longer corrupt in her nature. Mm. Indeed, through baptism, she has been born again or regenerated. So now she is a Christian who belongs to Christ and his church. That's where it all begins. And according to the Roman Catholic Church, you cannot be saved if you've not been baptized, because that's where salvation begins. Wow. Okay, so it's salvation does not begin by professing Jesus as Lord. Nope. Of, of course uh, now not. Now, in the case, of course, a 30-day-old yeah, exactly. can't do that. Yeah. The, the, the church would uh, profess faith, would grant faith to that 30-day-old uh, baby girl, but it, she could not have her own uh, personal profession of faith. In the case of adults, right, even there, they need to understand the gospel. They need to profess faith, but it's not actually their faith on their own. It's faith that is given to them by the Catholic Church, hmm. but that faith is not sufficient. They also must be baptized in order to be saved. Okay, so baptism is like the first of utmost importance when it comes to the sacraments. Now, are you just saved after baptism, or do you keep your salvation with the Eucharist or other sacraments? Where do the other sacraments play a role? The expectation then is after you've been baptized and you've been incorporated into Christ and his church, mm -hmm. there's the sacrament of confirmation mm -hmm. so that you're taught to be a disciple of Jesus, you begin to understand what it means to follow Jesus and what the crucial beliefs are of the Christian faith. So you go through confirmation, and there is uh, that sacrament is accompanied by anointing with oil mm. on one's forehead. And that oil is a symbol of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that 30-day-old baby girl, say around 8, 9, 10 years old, is confirmed. She is now granted the fullness, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now she's fully incorporated into the Church of Jesus Christ. And around or about that same time, uh, she will go through the sacrament of the Eucharist, mm. um, which we can talk more about. But that continues the infusion of grace. Interesting. And then when she falls away, right, commits sin, there's also the sacrament of penance. So it's a constant reference to the sacraments of the Catholic Church, through which God's grace is poured into the Catholic faithful. Interesting. So, so with the two, you know, with Protestants, you're saved by grace, you're welcomed into the family, you're filled with the Spirit, and then with Catholicism, it's kind of like a journey. Like, so 30 days old, okay, now you're saved, and then by the time you're eight or nine or ten, now you're, you know, confirmed, and then it just it's a long, lifelong journey, and the sacraments help you keep that salvation. It's exactly right. So we Protestants wow. say, say, we hear the gospel, we repent of our sins, we believe, we receive God's grace, we're mm -hmm. saved. For the Catholic Church, right, it's, it's the entire life process. Mm -hmm. So it's a process, and at the end of that process, you're not sure if you will be surely saved or not. Mm. Uh, we Protestants hold to, I think, I hope, uh, the assurance of salvation yep. that, that when we become a Christian— uh, God will hold us in Christ all the way to the end yeah. so we can have 
joyfully that assurance of salvation. That's not true in the Catholic system. Wow. You know, I always get overwhelmed with that because even, you know, with Mormonism, it's similar where you just don't know at the end. You do all the good works, you do all the things you can, and you just hope for the best. And I just feel like that would be so overwhelmingly stressful (laughs) to just not know. And so this is one of the reasons that Martin Luther, mm-hmm. uh, whose Reformation inauguration we, we celebrated at the end of October, why he was so disturbed. Mm-hmm. He was a very uh, devout, uh, devoted, faithful Catholic monk, but he was disturbed in his, con- in his conscience. He wasn't sure if he had done sufficient good works, if he had confessed his sins sufficiently. So he was plagued by this overwhelming sense of guilt and this uh, unanswerable question, how can I know if I'm saved? Mm. And, and this is why he discovers the gospel of Jesus Christ and then starts the Protestant movement. And then tell us a little bit about that whole moment in history, because we kind of celebrate that in this season. Yes, yeah, so the Protestant Reformation is born out of <laughs> Martin Luther's genuine conversion mm-hmm. through the gospel, that he understands that salvation is not a lifelong process focused on the grace of God, infused by the Roman Catholic sacraments, lacking in the assurance of salvation and all like that. But salvation is centered on God's justification of Mm. us. He declares us not guilty. So we're forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And then we're declared righteous instead, not because we've done good works to earn our own righteousness, Mm -hmm because the perfect righteousness of Christ, his holy life, his obedience, his faithfulness to the Father Mm -hmm. is attributed, it's credited to our account. So God looks at us clothed in Jesus's righteousness. We we, we can't add anything to that, can we? No, amen. Praise God. Amazing. And so, you know, when you think about the baptism and all these different things, it seems like there's a little bit of a confusion where it's like there's a journey of salvation, whereas for us, we would say maybe there's a journey of sanctification, like yes. we're saved, but now we become more and more like Christ's character, whereas with Roman Catholics, it's like, no, no, you have to actually go through a process of salvation rather than sanctification. Would that be kind of a good comparison? That's a really good comparison, right? We believe that that justification, our salvation, takes place mm-hmm. right when we... Uh, repent and confess Jesus yeah. Christ when we embrace the gospel. But that is and will be followed by sanctification, a gradual mm-hmm. growth in maturity, in Christ-likeness, fruit of the Spirit, and all like that. That will be an ongoing reality, but mm-hmm. that all flows from the fact that God's grace has saved us. Yeah. So those good works don't save us. They are mm-hmm. the fruit, they're the proof, and they will be the necessary result of embracing the good news of Jesus. That's amazing. You know, with with this theology of, okay, baptism is the, you know, confirmation that you're saved, and then eight or nine, you know, the anointing with oil, all the things that you told us about the Roman Catholic Church, do they have scripture that they point to and interpret to say, actually, baptism is how you are saved? So uh, a key passage is John 3, 5. Jesus is in conversation with Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again. And he adds, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water Mm. and the spirit, one cannot see, one cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so the Roman Catholic Church interprets, unless you are born of water, Mm. to point to the absolute necessity of water baptism. You cannot be saved if you are not baptized. So that's the key portion there, John 3, 5. And then Titus 3 also has about the washing of renewal by the Spirit. Um, But the Roman Catholic Church primarily points to John 3, 5 in support of baptism necessary for salvation. And what would the Protestants believe as far as like scriptures? I mean, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about baptism, um, you know, but not being the, you know, point of salvation. Like as we read the stories in the book of Acts, we see that there is the preaching of the gospel, Mm -hmm. repentance from sin, Mm -hmm. faith in Jesus, Mm -hmm. the promise of forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and those who have experienced that are baptized as a public 
demonstration or uh, explanation, a, a vivid portrayal of what God has done in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessary for salvation. That doesn't mean it's unimportant. Yeah. But we have, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, kind of in a senior moment, can't remember how many bap- people he baptized in the church in Corinth. Um, but he says he's only really baptized a handful. I would think it would be unconscionable for the Apostle Paul to believe that baptism is necessary for hmm. salvation. But when he preached the gospel, didn't baptize people. Maybe he had his assistants do it. We don't know. So um, baptism is not necessary for salvation, according to Protestants. That doesn't render it unimportant. We should, in obedience to Christ's commands, be baptized as disciples, right? We should be baptized. Absolutely. And you think of the thief on the cross. uh, They didn't jump down quickly and get baptized. That. But, Couldn't do it. No, but uh, Jesus says, "You will today. You will be with me." Um, exactly. And so, yes. another just key evidence of okay, it's not necessary. It is. I like how you say it. It's like we want to be obedient and follow the ways of Christ and do it and declare to the seen and unseen world uh, what God has done in our lives. But um, it's not the key thing for salvation. So big, pretty big differences. These are not small differences uh, with the Roman Catholic Church and Protestantism. I think we're really dealing with two different worldviews. There are a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. We all believe in the Trinity, the deity and humanity of Christ, but there are such significant differences that I would describe this as a different worldview. Same terminology in many cases, but really built in a different kind of a system, a really different uh, structure. Totally. And, and, I want to. I know a lot of people when they think about you know Catholicism, of course, a big thing that comes up is Mary. So, what is the worldview and the theology behind Jesus's mother Mary? Next to Jesus, Mary is the next most important figure in the biblical story and in the accomplishment of salvation. So, Catholics mm-hmm. believe that. Mary would play a necessary role in the birth of Messiah. And so she had to be prepared in order for when Gabriel the angel announced that Mary would become the mother of Jesus, that she would agree to that. And so the Roman Catholics believe that from the moment of her conception, she was preserved from the stain, the taint, the guilt of original sin. She Hmm. was, in other words, immaculately conceived. Hmm. So she was conceived without sin. She is born without sin. Roman Catholics believe that she lived her entire life without sin. Hmm. At the end of her life, at the time of her death, uh, she her body was assumed or taken up into heaven, was not put in a grave. It did not decay in a tomb because of her sinlessness. So they believe that Mary is sinless from her conception Till now, she uh, reigns with Jesus in a secondary way in heaven, and she can intercede mm. for the Catholic faithful. She's the example of godliness, obedience of faith and everything, and she assists the Catholic faithful in this journey uh, during their life. Wow. Okay. So I, and I, I was very curious about this because I didn't know if it was like, okay, as soon as the angel came, did she stop sinning then or... And then did she stop? Did she sin after, or was she sinless from the beginning till the end? She was sinless from, from the, beginning the beginning to the end. To the end. Yeah. And Catholics will point to the fact that she was a virgin mm-hmm. her entire life, and her perpetual virginity is the sign, it's the seal of her sinlessness. So Catholics believe that even when Mary gave birth to Jesus, um, the integrity of her virginity was uh, not destroyed. She is perpetually virgin, and therefore that marks her out, her out as sinless. Okay, so then, but they say that she's a virgin her whole life? Yes. So Jesus had siblings? Kin, a kinship, they cousins. Cousins. That's the Roman Catholic interpretation. Oh, okay, so they thought that Jesus was the only son of Mary. Yes. Yeah, okay. And that's fascinating. 
I'm trying to wrap my head around all this because it's it's uh, it takes a stretch of imagination to think because she's betrothed to Joseph. Mm -hmm. And we know that they did not have sexual intercourse before she gave birth to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and Matthew one seems to indicate that after Jesus was born, that Joseph and Mary had sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm which would explain why Jesus had brothers and sisters. Yeah. The Roman Catholics don't believe that. So what do they say it, when they go through Matthew 1? That um, that Joseph, being a righteous and upright man, knowing that Mary needed to remain a virgin, never consummated the marriage, so to speak. Mm. and never had sexual intercourse with her. Mm. And so they just see Jesus as the one and only son of Mary. Interesting. And um, in the area of just kind of transitioning, because we're still talking about Mary, but I don't know this. Do Catholic people, Roman Catholics, pray to Mary? They do. Okay. Just like um, if I would say, I'm really struggling with X, Y, Z, would you please pray for me? You would. Mm -hmm. So we can go to Mary, sinless, exalted in heaven, the mother of Jesus, mm. and ask her to intercede for us before her son. And of course, she's going to do that mm. because she's she's just she's connected to us with our shared humanity. She's connected to her son because she is his mother. And, and so she is a vehicle, an instrument through which we can uh, ask her to in, uh, intercede for us before her son, Jesus. Fascinating. Do they don't pray to like apostles, do they? Because I know they have like they do. Oh, they yep. do. Sure. So they they wouldn't be called apostles in the heavenly state. They'd be called saints. Okay. So Saint Peter, right? We've all heard of him, mm-hmm. right? Saint Paul, Saint John Paul II, the one of the latest popes, right? So these are apostles and they are popes, and if they have been proclaimed saints by the Roman Catholic Church, then they also intercede for us, just like I would ask you to intercede for me, pray for me. They will also intercede or pray for us. So they could technically pray to a lot of people then? Uh, Thousands. Wow. Yes. Oh, yeah. So in every day uh, during the year is a feast day of a certain saint or various saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you start adding those up, there are uh, thousands, <laughs> if not more, wow. saints. Okay. But they don't pray like in, you know, like if we're praying, we say, okay, I'm going to pray for you, brother. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. They're not praying like in Mary's name, amen. Like they're, are, they're still praying. Uh, I hope they aren't, but I think on a pop level, popular level, um, I, I, I hope they would add in Jesus's name. Right. But I think there's a lot of pop Catholic culture where they just ask St. Francis or St. Paul to pray for them and maybe leave out the whole thing that about Jesus. Interesting. So I'm just thinking you're right. P- Roman Catholics are praying to St. Andrew, mm-hmm. uh, right, who was an apostle. <laughs> so, um yeah, so so you would be named in some of those prayers. Hey. St. <laughs> Andrew, there you go. St. Andrew, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it reminds me of just going through other religions of people saying, you know, we're Christians, and then when you unpack, you realize there's some pretty, you know, major differences. Um, there's a lot of differences here. It's just overwhelming. Hmm. Um, so they pray to thousands of other people, and Mary was sinless from the beginning to the end. Whereas, so she is is the she's kind of at the apex. She would be the she'd be the highest one. Yes, that Roman Catholics would uh, ask to intercede for them. Like Jesus is still number one. Mary, Jesus, yeah, yes, yeah. So we so Roman Catholics worship Jesus. Yes. Yes. Right? They worship the triune God because yes. only God can be worshipped. Yeah. They venerate right. the saints, okay. but they super venerate. Can we use that term? Okay. They super venerate, okay. they super honor or devoted yes. to Mary. Yeah. So they're not So she's the outstanding one. Yes. So they're not worshiping Mary. They're not worshiping the saints. They're worshiping Jesus. And yeah, okay. That makes more sense. And so 
she plays this role. They call her the co-mediatrix, mm-hmm. right? So she's co-mediator mm-hmm. uh, because she intercedes for us. And at the cross of Jesus, Mary was present and she's pouring out her soul, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as her son is sacrificed and she's going through all that. So she's suffering uh, in an intense, mm-hmm. excruciatingly painful way. So, um, so she's interceding then for us. Uh, so she's co-mediatrix. The Catholic Church for a while, back at the end of the 20th century, experimented, could we call her co-redeemer, co-redemptrix? Hmm. Uh, but they, they, they decided not to go in that direction, perhaps out of deference to us pr- uh, Protestants. We may be able to tolerate she's a co-mediatrix with Jesus to say she's a co-redeemer, co a redemptrix with Jesus, I think that would set us off too much. So I hope the Catholic Church doesn't go in that direction. Yeah, wow. So they would say that she's like a co-mediator between... Because of her suffering with with her son, because of her role interceding for us, her example of godliness, obedience of faith, holiness, and all like that. So she very much helps the Roman Catholic faithful in their pilgrimage during this lifetime, this process throughout their lifetime of becoming saved. Hmm. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. So um, I think this is mostly connected to a Roman Catholic church, but like uh, the going to confessional, that would be a Catholic practice. Yes. So, So how does that happen? And how does that in comparison to what Protestants, you know, who don't go to a confessional per se? So let's say um, John is a faithful Catholic. He attends Mass regularly, maybe once a week, maybe even daily. But um, he commits what the Catholic Church calls a mortal sin, mm-hmm. premeditated, heinous. It breaks one or more of the Ten Commandments, either against God or against others or both. Um it's it's a premeditated act of sin. He knows it's wrong. He engages in this sin without any reference or regard whatsoever to God. This is a mortal sin. Hmm. The only way for John to be absolved or forgiven of his sin is for John to go to the uh, sacrament of penance, which is he goes before a priest and he publicly confesses each of his known sins The priest carefully listens to those, and then the priest absolves or pronounces John not guilty, forgiven of those sins, and then the priest will give John acts of penance, like pray the Our Father five times a day for the next two weeks, or pray the uh, Ave Maria, the prayer to Mary, Mm. five times for the next two weeks. This these acts of penance then satisfy the justice of God, but uh, the priest is the one who's ab- who absolves, who forgives John of his mortal sin. That restores God's grace to John, so that he can c- continue on this uh, passage, uh, lifelong passage to eternal life. If John doesn't confess his mortal sin, and John dies with mortal sin on his soul. John's soul goes immediately to hell without any hope ever of purgatory or heaven. So when you talk about the sin that's premeditated, you're thinking about, you know, whatever, are there certain sins then that they would say you don't need to go to confessional for? Those are called venial sins. Okay, so there's mortal sins and venial sins? Venial, mortal and venial. Mortal would be... The terrible ten, the dirty dozen, the nasty nine, yeah. premeditative, yeah, yeah. and all like that. The venial sins, any sin that doesn't mount up to the level of a mortal sin would be a venial sin. So there would be extenuating circumstances. It may have been a moment of passion, of uh, of anger. You lash out and, and kill somebody. Those would be all mitigating factors that might render a mortal sin a venial sin. You don't need to go to the sacrament of penance in order to deal with venial sins. So how do they deal with venial sins? You can go to Mass, okay, and, you, and just you can, can you just admit your sins. Yeah, okay. So just pray, uh, pray you know, to you God. You have to go, yeah. just pray to God. Yeah. But then um, 
by participating in the sacrament of the Eucharist, that um, that helps heal venial sins. And that grace that one receives, right, helps one also not to fall into sin so often. Right. And then the mortal sin, you go, you confess, then they give you a requirement of say this two times or say that five times for the next two weeks. So there's something that you also have to do to fully. And then what if John doesn't do that? What if he did it four times? Uh, well, John would need to go to uh, Sacrament of Penance again and confess that, that he he didn't do his penance. Wow! And then <laughs> right, so so the sacrament right is well, it, it it's not fully developed in John's life. Right? It hasn't had the proper impact on his life. Wow. Okay. Um, also very different. So. You talk about if he died, if John died with a mortal sin that he did not go and, you know, make right at confession, he is deemed to hell and that's it. So, and you taught, you brought up, you brought up purgatory. Um, Let's walk through that. What is the Catholic view of purgatory and how does it contrast with Protestants understanding of the afterlife and salvation? So John goes to mass daily or weekly he um, he sins, and he, it's a mortal sin. That sin is forgiven or absolved through the sacrament of penance. He still has the stain of that forgiven sin on his soul. Or John, going through his daily routine, weekly routine, he commits venial sins, mm-hmm. doesn't need to go to the sacrament of penance, and, and he confesses right um, t- to God, but there's still a stain that taints his soul, that's wedded to his soul. Well, he's got to render satisfaction hmm. uh, so that the, those that stain of forgiven mortal sin and that stain of venial sin is purged. Hmm. And he does that through purgation. You can hear purge, purgatory, through a temporal time after his death, before heaven, John's soul will suffer a punishment will suffer suffering, mm-hmm. a great torment, so that John's soul eventually is purged of the stain of sin, and then his soul is guaranteed it will go to heaven after that period of purgation has taken place and uh, resolve the whole taint of sin. Hmm. Okay, now contrast that with what Protestants believe about the afterlife, just to show both sides. Excellent, yeah. So thinking about God's justification of us. Mm. We're not guilty, but we're righteous instead. When we die, we have the righteousness of Christ. That's how God sees us. That's Mm -hmm. our standing. Mm -hmm. There's no need for purgatory, is there? Mm -mm. Because we have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We don't have the stain of sin Mm -hmm. that needs to be removed. It's been removed. We've been proclaimed forgiven, and we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are 100% justified mm-hmm. right before God. There's no need for, there can't even be a purgatory for us. So we believe that when we die, we go to be with Jesus, we'll be disembodied in heaven, and we will be hoping for and longing for his return, and then we'll live in the new heavens and the new earth with him forever. Amen. And every day will be past a national past a day in heaven. Um, Whoa, I love that. <laughs> okay, so so what's fascinating to me is um, just trying to find the biblical evidence of um, what they, I guess people don't understand that context. Today is National Pasta Day, just so you know. And just little, Everyone's like, what are they talking about, pasta in heaven? Um, that's We have a, Greg and I share a love be. for pasta, okay? So moving on. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but... So what blo- we're all Italians today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what blows me away is just trying to find the scriptural evidence for some of the beliefs that people have. So, so when we look at you know again the thief on the cross, Jesus says, "Today you will be with me." He didn't say, "Today you will go to a place where you're going to have to wash up and scrub off all your stains." So, is there a passage of scripture that? Roman Catholics look to for purgatory as their belief, like their evidence of their theology? Uh, the key passage for Roman Catholics is actually in one of those seven books, oh, additional okay. books 
in the Catholic Old Testament. Okay. It's called Second Maccabees. Okay. And that rehearses Jewish revolt against pagan armies in the uh, centuries before Christ. Um, but in Second Maccabees, uh, chapter 12, there is this instruction, uh, there's this narrative that the Roman Catholics interpret as a reference to purgatory. Um, and then they turn to Matthew 16, 13 to 20, where Peter confesses the identity of Jesus. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will found my church, ground my church. Gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then he gives the keys to the kingdom to Peter. The Roman Catholic Church understands these keys to be the binding and loosing of sins. So it develops the concept of, hmm. of purgatory and the necessity of penance, hmm. of confessing sins. So the keys become like the sacrament of penance by which the priest either uh, says you are still in your sins because you haven't confessed or you're forgiven your sins, you're um, absolved of your sins because of your confession. So we've got penance and purgatory uh, primarily grounded on those couple of biblical texts. Interesting. So there's just obviously different interpretations of those passages. And it's just interesting to come up with that or like have that as your foundation from those, from Matthew 16. I think um, we Protestants would understand the keys as centered on the gospel. It's interesting because in Matthew 16, 13 to 20, where Jesus is setting forth uh, the idea of the keys, uh, the, the very next couple of verses is the first time that Jesus announces his uh, going to Jerusalem, his crucifixion, his resurrection. He really unfolds the gospel. And so we Protestants understand that the keys have to do with the gospel. So, for example, when you, Andrew, when you share the good news with someone, if that person says, Andrew, man, you're, you're crazy. Hmm. Th that's just utter ridiculousness. It's good for you. It's not for me. You could actually say to that person, to that friend, I'm, I'm deeply troubled for you because I want you to live forever with Jesus Christ, mm. but you are rejecting him. And you're thinking to yourself, he's still bound in his sin. Mm. But when that friend says, this is the greatest news I've ever heard, Andrew, mm. please, I, I, I want to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. You can, not because you're a priest of the Catholic Church, not because you're anyone necessarily even special. You can, on the basis of the gospel, mm. say, friend, I can assure you, your sins are forgiven mm. and you have eternal life. That's the way we exercise the keys. And if you look at the end of the Gospel of John, where John kind of presents it in his own ways, this whole notion of forgiveness through the Gospel, turn the page to Acts chapter 1 and start reading the book of Acts. What do the apostles do as they exercise the keys of the kingdom? They announce the good news. Mm. Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, his exaltation, call for repentance and faith. That's the exercise of the keys. That's what we do as Protestants. Ah, amen. Amen. Um, man, this is so good. And so just going through this, going through again, you know, we may have similar terms, but a very different dictionary. Um, what are some, um, what's some advice or some words of wisdom to our young audience uh, who is either, um, you know, they have family members in the Roman Catholic Church or they themselves are in the Roman Catholic Church? What would we, what could we say to them to help you know, just navigate these major differences? That's uh, that's such a great question. Lots of different areas. Uh, first, I would encourage uh, young people to get involved in a uh, very strong, gospel-centered, Christ-centered, God-honoring, uh, whole Bible-preaching church that worships the Lord, disciples you, evangelizes, engages in missions. If you go to kind of a wishy-washy church, uh, I don't think it's gonna hold you for the rest of your life. But when you sink your roots deeply into a strong gospel-centered church mm. and the worship of the Lord just fills your soul and mm. unites you 
with him and with your brothers and sisters who are worshiping the Lord. And when you're being discipled according to the word and living according to the spirit and bearing fruit and engaging in ministry, um, this will help you to know what is scripturally grounded. And so if you hear the different words like grace and evangelization and mercy and things like that from your Roman Catholic friends, you know what those words mean mm. in your church's context. Mm -hmm. Hold on to that very deeply. Mm -hmm. And then please love your Catholic neighbors yeah. and friends yeah. and uh, family members. Don't, don't yell at them or get mad at them or bicker with them over this stuff. Share what God is doing in your life. Mm. Share the good news. Invite them into reading the Bible with you. Mm -hmm. Because we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. If you share the good news and get into a Bible study with your Catholic friends and neighbors, God will be faithful to ignite faith in them through the good news that uh, you're sharing. Amen. Amen. I love that. Yeah, we're not we're not called to, you know, it's this balance of grace and truth. And if we just have way too much truth, we'll be attacking and arguing and bickering. And that's not, if you have too much grace, you're not, you know, pointing them to the hope. In a, you know, so just kind of having this balance of to love them well, to be gracious. And, and I love how you just said, just share what God's doing in your life. Uh, that's huge. And no one can argue with that. Uh, it's just a testimony. And, and if they do argue, if they do argue, say, so, well, that's because you're a Protestant, I'm a Catholic. But because you share your heart, hmm. I think those those your friends will know you deeply love them, hmm. you pray for them, you're concerned. And even though they may reject you, when they fall into some kind of crisis, spiritual crisis, economic crisis, relational crisis, family crisis, whatever it is, when they're thinking, who can help me? Hmm. They're going to think about you because you love them mm. and, and you shared your life with them. That is such a powerful witness to them. Please love them. I don't want anyone to leave this uh, our, our time together thinking, I should tell my Catholic neighbors and friends, you're wrong on the Bible, the yeah. Old Testament and purgatory and the sacraments. That That's that's a non-starter, non-starter, no, non-starter no. all the way. Yeah. So I'll love them, share the good news, yeah. and pray for them. Yeah, yeah, I love that, man. This has been so helpful, so encouraging. Uh, I'm so grateful for your time, and uh, thank you for being with us today, and uh, all the best to all that you're doing in ministry and in your life. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, your questions, our interaction have been just so fine. And thank you for the privilege of being able to share the good news with your audience. I, I really deeply appreciate it. Praise God. I love you, brother. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you. Well, that was a fantastic conversation. Wow. So much. Learning. I really like Greg yeah. Allison. He's a, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's pretty cool. That was really fun, actually. Um, I enjoyed even our email correspondence leading up to this. I, I had a feeling through his emails, this guy's going to be a good guy. Yeah. You know? Um, but uh, that was very fascinating. So many takeaways for me. Like, so many takeaways. Yeah. Uh, let's just maybe highlight a few of them because uh, we could probably be here for a long time breaking all this down. But I think a big one for me is I was genuinely curious with uh, Mary um, if she was like sinless, you know, when they found like she stopped sinning when she found out she was going to deliver yeah. the son of God or was she sinless the whole time? That's why she was chosen. Um, but to to learn that, that was really fascinating for me. Yeah, it never occurred to me that. Catholics believe that she was sinless from birth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to think so. that, like, they don't believe that Jesus had brothers, like that she remained a virgin her whole her life. Her whole life. Yeah. yeah. Which begs the question, would would Joseph had stayed in a marriage that was unconsummated? So you think he would have left if he... I'm just saying... <laughs> I mean, how, how could you say anything? You're a door. I don't know. As a door, we need to unlock these mysteries. Oh, wow. He just I opened up a, opened up a <laughs> can of worms. All I can say is things are getting a little unhinged. <laughs> okay. But in all seriousness, <laughs> would Joseph second round? That's if he, I mean, I, th I think that he was a righteous man. Yeah. As I was going to say, like, yeah. I think the Catholic perspective would be that he would have. Yeah. Obviously. No matter what. Yeah. Um, that was a big thing for me. So that, that they would believe that all of uh, those were all Jesus's cousins. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which is was really fascinating. Um, so many takeaways. Another big takeaway for me was just the significance of baptism and like sacraments yep. in general. So it's like Jesus alone couldn't save you. Yeah. Um, it's the baptism. And so when I asked them straight up, so if someone wasn't baptized, yeah, what happens? So it's like, oh, well, you know, that was a, that was a big eye opener for me. Yeah. I think it just like goes to show too, just how beautiful it is that like, you know, we don't need to rely on the sacraments that we, we are saved mm. by grace and grace alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I just like I'm talking to a door and I can... This is pretty serious, Andrew. No, it is. I'm just looking up your door. <laughs> it's just a little uncomfortable. Okay, well, well my eyes are up here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we should have a zoom out of just like blurred. You got to get a handle on yourself, Andrew. Oh, oh wow. Geez. This is too much. <laughs> are you sure you're not a dad? <laughs> do you not that I'm aware of. Do you want to check Ancestry. You know, no, Mormonism last week? Okay. Um. They'll get better or worse when I do have kids. Oh, it'll be worse. Um, I watched my sense of humor decline massively. Um, yeah, it's, it's also fascinating for me. Like if the sacraments are that big, like that important, so baptisms, communion, you know, if you, you're not saved unless you're baptized because it's the water, yeah. you know, that cleanses you and purifies you of your sin. So what, and, and we, and we talked about it, What about the thief on the cross? Like how, you know, there was no baptism. There was no communion. There was no Bible studies. There was no, I watched an Alistair, is it Alistair Begg? Break? Yeah. Is it what? Alice Bake. Big, yeah. B-E-G-G. Yeah. Yeah. Legend. He has this like reel that I saw online that was like amazing where he's talking about the thief on the cross and, you know, he had no Bible study, no understanding of justification by faith, all these different things. Like, how was it? And it's just, you know, it's beautiful. Like you said, Marcus, like we're saved by grace and it's not about all these things that we have to do. Um, but it just begs the question, speaking of Alistair, it begs the question, huh? Huh? Yeah. Um you know, Jesus said today you'll be with me in paradise. So he, he didn't have to do the sacraments to be saved. Yeah. Which is, it's also in speaking of, of crosses, I'm, I'm curious the, the, the significance and difference between the, the crucifix, mm-hmm. uh, in Catholicism mm-hmm. in comparison to yeah. the, the, the Protestants yeah. cross, which is empty. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's a significance there. I'm not sure. I mean, I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Because most Catholics would wear the crucifix. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, you know, we 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 do have a phone available to us. Oh. Hey. We can call Doctor John because I I I also want to know just in general. Yeah. Some people just say, hey, like, if Catholics believe all these things, some people wonder. Yeah. About their salvation in, in general, and I know that I have some solid Catholic brothers and sisters who love Jesus and worship him. I don't know what they do with the extra stuff, but yeah. maybe we can ask John that too. So we can ask him about the crucifix and we yeah. can ask him about salvation. Yeah. What do you think? Even, I mean, we even have, if you can't answer it, it would be nice to hear his voice. It's true. I love that man. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll just, I mean, we're paying for this monthly. The monthly fees <laughs> on this phone is like through the roof. By the way, Endowed Insiders, you know, we'd really appreciate your monthly support so we could continue to call John. So I'll, I'll call him. Okay. That, yeah. Hello? Hey, Dr. John. Is this Andrew? Yeah, it's Andrew from Andrew the Endow. Marcus from yes. Endow? Yeah, it's, oh. it's me. How's it going? <laughs> Lovely. Oh, amazing, man. Did I catch you at a bad time? Are you okay? Um, yeah, always a bad time, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great time. Okay, perfect. That's amazing. I, we just had a couple questions. Uh, myself, uh, Chris, and Marcus are here just kind of hanging out, and we're talking. We just did an episode. We interviewed a, a dear, dear brother, uh, Greg Allison, on Catholicism, and we just had some extra questions that I forgot to actually ask him. Uh, the first one for you, we're just kind of talking. We're wondering, okay, if the view of salvation is different in the Roman Catholic Church, then... Will they go to heaven? You know, this is a great question because, I mean, obviously we can't answer it individually, but let's, I mean, let's recount. We are saved by grace alone, through mm-hmm. faith alone, mm-hmm. in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Now, in Catholicism, uh, the church is the ark of salvation. 
So, you know, all, I'm sure when you talked about Catholicism, you talked about all the, the different sacraments. So yeah. the sacraments add grace to your life. Yeah. So the yeah. idea is that the church has a treasury of merits and they can hand out salvation. So if you're trusting in Jesus plus, hmm. that is, uh, you know, Jesus plus the church, or you're trusting the church to handle salvation matters rather than putting your trust fully in Christ, I don't hmm. know that anyone can be saved outside of trust in Christ alone. So he is our only savior, and to say, I don't know that he's my savior, I need something outside of Jesus, is a difficulty, because mm. I think what it does takes away the supremacy of Christ. Yeah, it's fascinating, and, and I didn't realize the importance of, for example, baptism. Like, if you're not baptized, you're just not saved. Well, the idea is that baptism um, is actually a miraculous act whereby the original sin of yeah. the child is washed away. Yeah. I'm sure you've already talked about that. Yeah. So the idea is that the, who can administer the baptism? It can only happen in the Roman Catholic Church. So the Church alone can wash away the original hmm. Adamic sin of your child. Hmm. So you're trusting that the Church has the merit to be able to do that. So you can see that with every step, you're putting more and more trust, not in Christ hmm. and in his gospel and in his cross, hmm. but you're putting it in the church. So, I mean, I, I, there are some Catholics, however, I need to say this, I know some Catholics who trust in Christ alone. Hmm. I know that. Interesting. And I've even yeah. known some priests that do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they, I don't know what they do with all this other stuff. I have no idea. Hmm. I only know that if you start putting your trust in the church, you can't put your trust fully in Christ. It's going to be one or the other. Wow. Wow, that's really fascinating. That, that really does help a lot. And maybe while I have you, I have one more question that yeah. we're kind of talking about. But just the, the, the crucifix and just the cross that's represented in the Protestant church, like, is there a significant difference? And is there a reason why, you know, Jesus is always on the cross? in all of the crosses in the churches? Um, I, I, I always hesitate to make much of this, and here's mm. why. Mm. I mean, Paul says that he bears within himself always the dying of his Savior. Mm. And uh, so, you know, to, um, to look at a crucifix, we, we are reminded that Christ, um, his death was for our benefit. That mm. is, we, our sins are atoned for in his dying on the cross. Why wouldn't we want to be reminded of that? Mm. I mean, sometimes, you know, Andrew, sometimes Protestants will say, well, we believe that, you know, there's an empty cross. Christ is risen from, from the dead. But let's not misrepresent Catholics. Catholics believe mm. that Christ was risen from the dead. Yeah. So the crucifix does not mean for Catholics they think that Jesus is still hanging there today. They decidedly don't believe that. So we shouldn't say they do. So that, mm. you know, in the same way, like Catholics could say, look, you guys have an empty cross, so you don't even think about Christ bleeding and dying mm. for you. See, they could say that. That would be wrong if they did it. I think it would be wrong for us to say that. So let's not misrepresent Catholics. Let's be fair. We want them to be fair to us. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. I, I know you're busy, very busy. Uh, so I really appreciate your time. And uh, we're grateful that we have this phone, that we can just call you anytime. <laughs> I, I always love the phone call. Awesome. Love you, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, God bless. Bye. Thank you for reminding me, doorman. Anytime. Uh, fascinating. Okay, so that ex that that covers it. Maybe yeah, we've, we've so. overemphasized the difference between the crucifix and the empty cross. I think so. I, I like that he uh, kind of talked about that, and we just need to put that aside. It's not a big yeah. thing to... No. I thought it was fascinating that he even said, like, for Protestants, we could be accused of, wow, you don't think about the punishment and the weight mm -hmm. and the action. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Of course we don't think like that. Yeah. So why would we think the opposite? So that's fantastic. Um, man, that was such a that was such a fruitful conversation with Greg, with John. I mean, the door was, you know. Yeah. But I'm sorry, I I'm sorry I didn't include you in that group text. I thought you were. It's it's okay. So I'm, you haven't I'm, gotten I'm used to it. So you haven't gotten any of my cat. GIFs. No. Oh, okay. Do you, do you have cat GIFs? Uh, yeah, that's what yeah, that's can all I, I see send them? to Chris. Yeah, I, Hang on. That, oh. Yeah, can you get your phone? It's in your pocket. Okay. Oh. No. I'm actually a little stuck. Okay, so we should probably end the conversation yeah, and get him out of the door. Yeah, helping me. Yeah, we'll, we'll help you, but we'll help yeah. you. Let me, can, we, can we just end the... Okay, hey, uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, uh God bless you guys. Thank you. We're really grateful uh, that you tuned in. We hope this was insightful. It was informative. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you about this conversation, and uh, we wish you all the best. Have a great week, whatever day it is you're watching this, and we'll see you next week. God bless you guys. I can't move.
Shoot about to daddy go, rat tat tat dookie go, root a doo bat doom de take go, shoot a bat go. One day I myself was walking through the forest, wondering why the Catholics always have a pole. Catholics and Protestants have a lot in common, but a pope is something that the Protestants said no. The way we view Mary is another big thing that separates us from what they believe. Because she bore the Son of God, Catholics think that a sinless life is what she received. The way we view baptisms and partake communion is another reason that we want to learn and grow. Because if we want to love and teach all our neighbors, this information is something we should know. Let's see what we can learn today on the